may have a seat. You have your uh, Bibles with you, please turn with me to John chapter 15. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, we provide uh, Bibles for you on the seat backs of your chair. You feel free to use uh, one of those with you today. Uh, John chapter 15, and we are focusing on verses 1 through 8 today. So let's go ahead and read that, and then uh, we'll get into the passage. It says, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That is the word of the Lord. So uh, we're making a transition now from verse, uh, from chapter 14, John chapter 14 to John chapter 15. And if you look at verse, uh, chapters 14, 15, and 16, these are all part of Jesus' farewell address to his disciples. So he's, he's preparing them for his departure. And in each chapter, uh, he's focusing on something different. If we backed up to chapter 14, we saw that he focused on comfort, he focused on help, and he focused on peace. And to show you what I mean, if you back up to chapter 14 at the very beginning, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in in me. Then he follows that with a promise that he is going away. He is going to be with the father. But when he goes to be with the father, that he's going to prepare a place for them. And if he prepares a place for them, he's going to come back and take them to be with him. That's the comfort that he gives. Then he starts talking about, in the middle of chapter 14, he starts talking about the help that they have. And he introduces uh, the Holy Spirit to them in verse 15, chapter 14, verse 15. And he introduces the Holy Spirit there where he tells them the help that the Holy Spirit would provide for them in living their everyday lives. And that's the help that he promises them. And then the peace, he actually gives them, gives them his peace at the very end of the chapter. And uh, that's what we talked about last week. And he says, I I give to you my peace. I don't give as the world gives. Um, The peace I give is completely different than that. His his peace is everlasting. Uh, It's always helpful. Uh, His peace makes the biggest difference in our life. So those were the um, focus areas, if you will, in chapter 14. Now he transitions in chapter 15 to speak about the blessings that we have when we abide in him. And if I were to give chapter 15 a title, that's, that's the title I would focus on, abiding in Christ. 
because that's exactly what he's talking about in chapter 15. Um, when we are, when I say the word abide, to understand it in context, it means to remain on him um, or to be united with him. So there's a focus of us never detaching from him. And that's what it means to abide in Christ. And we'll talk about more of, of what it means in a practical way later in the sermon. But I, I want you to have a mindset of what abide means to remain on him and to remain united with him. Uh, that's what it means to abide. Now, if we realize it or not, Christ is the most essential need of our lives. He is our most essential need that we have, and, and that's looking at everything that, that you may have, even more essential than, than food and water. Now you say, well, wait a second, I can't survive without food and water. Yeah, your physical body cannot survive without food and water, but your spirit continues, your soul continues. Without Christ, both your body and your soul are dead. So he is our, our most essential need. Don't forget who provides the food and water that you, that you drink and that you eat. It is Christ that provides that for us. So that's why it's easy for me to say that he is our most essential need. Now, there are things that we think we can't live without, but that is only true with Christ. Now, um, as believers, we need to realize this. And I think sometimes we get caught up in everyday, our everyday lives and we forget about this fact that we cannot live without Christ and that we need to abide in him. And um, in our passage today, it clearly shows us that we are nothing and we cannot do nothing unless we are abiding in him, unless we have Christ. So we're going to look at the reason we need Christ and how explicitly it is actually pointed out in our passage today. Uh, look at verse 1. First, the first uh, reason we need Christ is simply because he gives us life. And I've already explained what kind of life he gives us. I'm, I'm not just talking about physical life, but he gives us spiritual life as well. So he gives us those two things, and that's what we see in verse 1 with the vine and the vine dresser. Now, this parable shows the dependency that we have on Christ, um, that we have on God. Because, and I say God because I mean God, in, of course, in, the thir in, in three persons. God, Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have this dependency on God because it is by, uh, by the Father that we have life, but it is also through the Son that we have life. We have to recognize that. And we can also include the Holy Spirit in there as well, because without the Holy Spirit, we would not have our, the spiritual life that we have. So it is that our life comes uh, from the Father, and it is given to us through Christ. Now, first thing is we have to realize is that the disciples and and also the visible church in this parable, um, we are the branches. Jesus referred to the branches later on in the middle of the parable, but I want to assert that right away just so that we can, uh, we can see that. The visible church, and what, I, what do I mean by the visible church? Exactly what that sounds like, the visible church. When, you, when I look out and I see you before me, you are the visible church. Now, there's a difference between the visible church and the universal church. The visible church is those who are present, physically present in the church. 
The universal church are those who are truly saved within the church, within, within that body, those who are truly saved. Not everybody who goes to church is saved. In fact, I was reading an article this past week, and I shared it on Facebook, but it said something to the fact that a third of evangelicals believe that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, that he was just a good teacher and a good man. Friends, if you believe that, you are not a Christian. I can confidently tell you that. And there are many, a third of evangelicals. Think about the huge number that is. And these are people who go to church on a regular basis. So we have to remember, just because we attend church does not mean that we are Christian. So there is a visible church, there is a universal church. In that post, I shared the fact that that's why it's essential for us to share the gospel. That's why Pastor Laramie and I focus on sharing the gospel. That's why those who teach here at this church focus on the gospel. Because surely the unchurched need it, but those who are visibly here at church, we all need it as well. Even if we are saved, we need to be reminded of who God is and who we are and what he's done for us. So all those things are extremely important. So the branches here represent the visible church, those who come and are here, but it doesn't necessarily mean that all who come are saved. Now the son is the vine and the, the father is the vine dresser. Now there are two key passages that I want to bring in to help us understand this whole parable a little bit better. Uh, John 6, 44, a uh, really important verse. It talks about how uh, Jesus says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Okay, we have, to, we have to remember that. That's the Father's role in our salvation, in our life. No one can come to Christ unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Okay, then also, I need you to remember John 14, 6. Now, it, it's pretty close. One's John 6, 44. The other one is John 14, 6. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I don't know if you notice the differences between those two verses, but one focused on the Father, and his, no one can come to Christ unless the Father draws them to Christ. That was John 6, 44. Now, John 14, 6 says, well, you can't even get to the Father unless you go through Christ. So we see the importance of both the, the God the Father and God the Son in the life that we have. See, these two passages help us to better understand this parable. Look at verse 1. Jesus says that he is the true vine. He is the true vine. That's really important for us to understand. Um, Look at, at the end of chapter 14, you'll see that after Jesus finishes, finishes uh, talking to them in verse uh, 31, he says, at the end, he says, rise, let us go from here. So there's a departure. Jesus is teaching them in chapter 14. He's, he's encouraging them. Uh, he's giving them hope for the future. He's giving them help and peace. And then he says, let us go from here. So then that means they take off somewhere. We, we know that for a fact. And where are they going? Well, they're going to where Jesus is, is soon going to be arrested and crucified. And we know that uh, he is arrested at, at, at the Mount of Olives. So they, more than likely, they're headed that way. And they're walking along, and that's when Jesus begins to speak to them in uh, John chapter, uh, chapter 15. And when we look at that, we see that 
as they make their way to the Mount of Olives, that's where the temple was. And it was well known that the temple itself had a, had a, a, a huge image of, the, of a vine imprinted on the temple. And it was supposed to be this, this beautiful and gorgeous thing that people admired when they passed by the temple. And that's what probably prompted this I am statement from Jesus. As they passed by the temple, he saw that, the disciples saw that, and he says, looking at that, he says, I am the true vine. And for them, that would have been a great lesson because they would have seen Israel as the vine. Because in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament paints Israel, God's people, as the vine. I'll give you an example. Let's look at Psalm 80. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Psalm 80. Psalm 80, and I, I want to read verses, um, I want to read just 8 and 9. It goes on through, uh, I think, well, basically you can read it through verse 19, the end of that, of that chapter, but verses 8 and 9 will give us a good idea of this uh, illustration, or this symbolism that, that is used for Israel. It says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. Right, so the vine that was brought out of Egypt was the nation of Israel when they were enslaved to Israel. So you brought a vine out of Egypt, you drove out the nations and planted it. Well, where did God plant it? Well, he planted it in the promised land. He drove out the nations, planted it in the promised land. You cleared the ground for it, it took deep root and filled the land. So that's just one example there. Now you can go back to John chapter 15. But that's just one example there in the Bible where it talks about Israel being the vine, Jesus says, no, Israel's not the vine. I am the true vine. See, the vine was supposed to be the Lord's people. It was supposed to be the nation of Israel. But the thing is, is that the Lord expected a rich harvest from Israel. What harvest was this? Well, this was a harvest of good fruit. Of, of, of wonderful works and worship towards the Lord. Now, the problem, though, is that Israel, if you look back at their history, you look at the Old Testament, they were never able to provide that consistently. In fact, everything they did was sin against God. God would give them something to do. They would be selfish in it. They would not do everything they were supposed to do. They would run away from God. They would worship other idols. So everything they did was just continually sin. But they were supposed to be the vine. They were supposed to bring a rich harvest for the Lord, but they never, never lived up to his expectation. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll see that instead of, being, is, as, instead of Israel being referred to as the vine, um, there are passages that call Israel the wild vine. Like Jeremiah 2.21 is an example. You can write that down and go look at it later. But Jeremiah 2.21, where it references Israel as a wild vine, meaning out of control, disobedient. They were the wild vine. They became the wild vine. Jesus looks at that and looks at Israel, contemplates what that symbol is on the, uh, the temple, and he tells his disciples, and he's telling us now, Israel was never the vine. I am the true vine. You see, the fact that Israel was always disobedient, that's why Jesus declared that he was the true vine. 
Only he had been perfectly obedient to God. Only he had been completely faithful to the Father. R.D. Phillips says this. He wrote a commentary on uh, the book of John. And he says this about Jesus saying that he is the true vine. He says that the fruit that God desired from Israel but did not find, he gained for himself by sending his own son to be the true vine for which his new and righteous people would live and bear good fruit. I really love reading smart people because they put it so well. It's very significant that Jesus is referring to himself as the true vine. Because think about it, I've already told you that the visible church, we are the branches. If he is the true vine, then guess where we get our life from? Guess where everything comes from? See, by Jesus saying that he is true, that means he is genuine and he is real, first of all. And then by him referring to himself as the vine, that, that's him referring to himself as the root and the source for life. Especially the life of the branches. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that he is the source of all that is good and all that pleases God. He is the true vine. Now, when we look at this parable, the other person in this parable, if you will, is, a, is the vine dresser. Or that's just another word for a farmer. Now, Jesus says that the father is the vine dresser. Now, the father, we need to recognize, is the keeper of the garden. He is the one who is in charge of the garden. But more importantly, he is the keeper of the vine. That's an important role that we have to recognize. And, and that's important to see the work that he does. Remember, let's go back to John 6.44 and also John 14.6. That's why I gave you those two verses ahead of time so that you can see how important it is what the Father does and what the Son does. Now, let's look at the following verses, uh, starting in verse 2, um, to give us a better understanding of how they work together. So that was the first point. The second point is this. The reason why we need Christ is because he sustains our life, and we'll see this in verses 2 through five, uh, the, the first part of uh, verse five. Let me read that for you. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he is the one that bears much fruit. I'll stop right there because I'm going to save the second part of, of verse 5 for the last point. When we look at this passage, one of the things that popped into my mind was, you know, when we're born, you know, our, we're, we're, we're given life through our mothers. We're born into our families. Our parents raise us. And then it's common for us to grow up and to move out of the house. That's, that's very common. It's very uncommon when we never leave the home right? and we just stay there and we continue to just uh, be supported by our parents. So we're kind of used to uh, this being born, uh, being raised, and as we're, as we're growing up, 
we're, we're used to kind of the rules and, and everything getting lightened, lightened, lightened because we're, you know, we're more responsible. And we get to become an adult and we start to do kind of our own thing within uh, the family structure. I think that if we take that mentality into our spiritual life, that that can be harmful. And we need to remember, yes, it is, a, it is God who has given us life. But it's not like growing up with your earthly parents to where you grow out of the home and things change. Your dependency on them changes. You begin to support yourself. That's never the case with Christ. That's never the case with God. God gives us life. And he sustains that life. And I bet you'll agree with me that, you know, when you get, as a, as a child, as you get older, the less you, you think you need your parents. Let me just put it that way. But you begin to just be your own person and you're able to self-sustain yourself. And I'm speaking from a creaturely standpoint. But see, with God, the, what I've seen and what, have I, what I've experienced is the older I get, the more I need him. It's the exact opposite. Because the older I get, the more I know. The more I know, the more I need him. So we never, ever, we never leave Christ. We never leave God. That's why he says, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you will bear much fruit. You take that away, we're lost. So he sustains our life. Not only does he give us life, but he sustains our life. The parable designates two types of branches. It says those that don't bear fruit. It says the negative first, and then the positive, those that do. Now when we look at that, those that don't bear fruit, we have to come to grips that these are not real believers amongst the visible church. They are spiritually dead. That's why they bear no fruit. They bear no fruit because they get no life source from the vine. Okay. On the other side, those who bear fruit, well, they are real believers within the visible church. These people are spiritually alive. They bear fruit because the life source they receive from the vine allows them to bear the fruit. So either the branches are thriving and they're producing fruit or they're dead. There's no in-between. Either we're, we're connected to the Bible, either we're abiding in Christ or we're not. There is no why well, I used to abide in Christ and now uh, I, I'm not or vice versa. It's either we're doing it and if we're doing it, we're going to do it forever, or we've never done it. It's, it's one or the other. And remember, abide means that we are united with him. If we are united with him, he tells us in our passage that he will abide in us. See, we learned that the branches were not producing the fruit here in this parable. Because there are some that are dead and there are some that are alive. That means the work that they produce, the fruit, the work, that points to us. The work that we do 
We don't do it on our own power. We don't do it in our own might. We do it because we are connected to our life source. We are connected to the vine because it is the vine that is producing the fruit in us. And what is this life, life source that I speak of? This life source that I speak of, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Because everything comes from God through the Son, and it's done by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, good works in the believer are a product of the Spirit's life in us. We can't complicate it because our works don't save us, but our works show that we are saved. And that's something that we have to remember because if we go back and think that our works save us, well, once we don't produce like we think we ought to, then we start to, we start to doubt our salvation. But you have to remember, we're either connected to the vine or we're not. If we are connected to the vine, then we will bear good fruit. If we're not, we're not going to have any fruit because we are dead. We don't have a life source that we can connect to. Or we have it, but we're just not connected to it. So notice that those who don't have the sign of the Spirit, what do I mean by sign of the Spirit? I mean good works. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit, that our life has changed. We're going to talk about sanctification a little bit further next Sunday. I I really don't want to dive too much into that right now because I want to save a lot of that for next Sunday. But look, the fact is, is that when we are saved, we are sanctified. And we are sanctified in two ways. We are sanctified first initially, and then we are sanctified progressively. When you were saved, don't you remember that something changed in you? You began to hate sin and you began to love God. That was that initial sanctification. Something changed in you. And then every day after that, you began to progressively be sanctified, to change in the name of Christ, through the good, through the bad, and through the ugliness of life. But there was a change. And that's what I mean, that good works in the believer's life are a product of the Spirit's life in us. You see, that's how believers are recognized from unbelievers. Luke chapter 6 talks about how Jesus talks about how you, you, you recognize a tree by its fruits. Same thing applies to us. But look in the parable. Notice, those who don't have the sign of the Spirit are cut off from the vine dresser. Those who don't have the sign are cut off. Those who do have the sign of the Spirit, well, they are pruned. And if we look at those two things, those two things are completely different. Because the purpose of cutting off is to destroy, is to completely and utterly destroy in judgment. And the purpose of pruning is to sanctify in grace. That's the difference between both of those in this parable. If you have your Bibles with me, turn to Romans chapter 11. I have a really good verse that I think that will help you with this. Romans eleven twenty-two. 
This is Paul talking about the nation of Israel and how the Gentiles were grafted in. And he is warning the Gentiles here, um, reminding them of Israel's history. And so let me, start, let me start reading to you in verse 21, and then I'll read 22 as well. It says, For if God did not spare the natural branches, the natural branches are speaking about Israel, neither will he spare you, speaking to the Gentiles. Verse 22, Note the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. See, I hope that's helpful for you. You can go back to John chapter 14 or 15. I hope that's helpful for you in understanding the difference between being cut off and being pruned. Our passage is very clear of what the father does, what the vine dresser does. He is the one He is the one who does the cutting or he is the one who does the pruning. And we can even see that taking place in the disciples' life. I have two examples for you. Just from John, just from the Gospel of John. Uh, let's consider Judas and let's consider Peter. Those are two prime examples to us, and we see what happens in their life. Judas, well, he betrayed the Lord. And what happened to Judas? He was cut off. Peter, Peter was no better. He denied the Lord. What happened to Peter? He was pruned, and he was further sanctified. Both men sinned. Both men failed the Lord. One was cut off because he was never truly connected to the vine, The other was pruned because his life source was the vine. Two wonderful biblical examples for us and what it means to be cut off and what it means to be pruned. Listen, friends, he not only gives us life, but he sustains our life. We we could not do it without him. We have to understand that. Third thing, we have to understand that apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing. We can do nothing. Um, I want you to understand verse 5 in, in context. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Okay, now here's the second part. This is the part I want you to understand in context. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, that is true in a general sense as well. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Uh, it is through his grace that, that even unbelievers are able to do something. Okay, we have to understand that. But in its context, what it's saying here is that apart from Christ, we can do nothing to achieve these good works that, it, that this parable is speaking about. It says, if you abide in me and I in you, you will produce much fruit. Without that abiding, we're not going to be able to do that. Why? Because the branches themselves do not produce the fruit. Everything that is good, it comes from the vine. It comes from Christ. 
So the Bible talks about good fruit, and it says good fruit is, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and it continues on. That's all, that's all good fruit. But we cannot truly be those things, do those things, without Christ. See, what we have to understand is to please God, we must abide in Christ. No one comes to the Father except through Christ, and no one pleases the Father apart from Christ. Look at verses 6 and 7. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branch and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Major difference between the two. Being cut, being pruned. Either you have, either you stand before God in judgment, or you stand before God in mercy. One way or another. It doesn't matter how long you've been a member here. It doesn't matter how long your family's been here. It doesn't matter anything that you consider good that you have done in your life, if you're not abiding in Christ, you are lost. To abide means having assurance. It means having conviction that he is the Lord. That's the, that's the practical definition of what it means to abide in Christ it means that you see him as Lord that you are convinced you have assurance that he is the son of God that he is your savior and you are convinced of that because you have you have come to that conclusion in your mind but see it's not only the mind that's engaged in order for us to abide in Christ the heart has to be engaged as well. So not only are we assured that Jesus is Lord, but we are also convicted in our hearts that he is Lord. So it's not just about us sharing knowledge with one another or having this knowledge. It's having the knowledge and also the conviction to completely believe it. Now, let me ask you, now knowing that, let me ask you this. Are you abiding in Christ or are you abiding in something else? Is something else going on in your life? I'll give you some examples. I kind of gave you one already. There are a lot of people who put a lot of a lot of their faith in tradition, a lot of their faith in their standing. There are a lot of people who think that, well, I'm abiding in Christ because I've been coming to this church for so long. I've been a Christian for over 50 years. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I've been doing those things. Those are all good and wonderful works. But let me remind you of what the Bible says and what this passage says. That we cannot do anything that is good unless we are abiding in the vine. I don't mean to 
make those who are saved doubt their salvation? That's not my goal here this morning. That's not what I'm trying to do. What my motive is this morning is to wake those who do not believe up. I want you to know that just because you are part of the visible church, that's not an automatic pass to heaven. I want you to really look at your life. Is there good works? Because if there is not, then I need you to question that. I need you to question yourself, to look at yourself and to really evaluate yourself. Are you abiding in Christ or not? There are some who attend church because they're, they're seeking a gift. They're seeking something. I, I can tell you in years of... I've been in ministry since 2002, 18 years now. In 18 years, you see a lot of people come through. And and especially me being in one place for those 18 years, man, I've seen so many people come through these doors. So many different types of people. I tell you, I've seen people who come through that I just, without a doubt, just thought, that brother or that sister, they are going to be a blessing to our church. And sometimes, less than a week, they don't turn out to be a blessing. I've also seen members here who have been here a very, very long time. And it's been hard to see any kind of good work in them. goes both ways. Are we abiding in Christ or are we not? It's that simple. I think this kind of message is needed because we really and truly need to wake up. Because one day we will stand before the Lord in judgment. And the only thing that we will have to stand on is his name. If we try to stand on our own solid ground, we will fail. And I would hate, I would hate that at that moment, if you are not abiding in Christ, at that moment you would say, well, my, my pastor's never really said anything to us about this. I want to make sure you know you're either abiding in him or you're not. And if you are saved, I want you to listen very carefully. You depended on Christ for your salvation. Now, are you depending on him for your sanctification? Or do you think he just did enough with your salvation and you got it from here? 
you think you're good now, like you, you have control of your own sanctification. You know, people have a different idea of what it means for God to be sovereign. Sovereignty is sovereignty. And some people think, well, God only does so much, and then my, my complete and utter free will just takes over, and he can't do what I don't want him to do. I'd love to talk to anybody about complete and utter free will. Because it just does not exist. We have creaturely free will. We're allowed to do what God allows us to do. But if we have trusted God with our salvation, we must also trust him in our sanctification. He has told us the work that he has began in us, that he will carry it to completion. See, if God has elected you, if he has called you, if he has justified you, that means he has grafted you into the true vine, to the true vine so that you may have life and that you may bear fruit. If you are not abiding in Christ, know this, you will be consumed in judgment. We must remember that it is the vine dresser, it is his main concern. His main concern is not us. Right? Because the parable speaks that very clearly. Sometimes we get it twisted and we think that, well, we're God's most precious gift. The vine dresser is more concerned about the vine than the branches. The branches are either getting cut or they're getting pruned. He's looking over the life of the vine. So what does that tell us? He's out for his own glory. That's what that tells us. He is after his own glory. And we are, we are, we benefit in the fact we get the blessing that God gets his own glory through our lives. See, because when the vine bears much fruit, it says that the vine dresser is glorified for his work. Look at verse 8, and then we'll end this. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let us pray.